Probably the most prolific and unpopular belief held by Christians today is the sanctity of traditional heterosexual marriage. Oftentimes, Christians are labeled hateful, intolerant, bigoted, and homophobic for opposing the LGBTQ agenda. So today, we're going to begin discussing this highly controversial topic. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Why do some Christians disagree with others on the topic? And why does God even care? All of this and more in today's episode. And I'm David. And welcome back to the Facing the Gates podcast. Thank you for tuning in to yet another controversial political episode. Controversy ensues, probably. So, um, obviously, last time we went off the deep end and set the precedent with talking about abortion. And today, we're going to be talking about gay marriage. Um, we've discussed many of the philosophical objections to Christianity and to theism in the previous series, but I think the topic of homosexuality hits much closer to home for many people. In our current cultural climate, I believe this is probably the biggest popular level objection to Christianity, and it is a highly controversial issue. Do you guys, would you guys agree or disagree that this is probably the biggest reason why some people choose to not be Christian? In in one vein, I would, but in the other vein, I think this is kind of like the feather that breaks the back. I think there's a lot more uh, structural damage in their mind versus one mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. But I, I think this this a lot of times is one of the feathers that breaks the back. Yeah. So I think um I think I, the reason I say it's the probably the biggest like popular level objection to Christianity is because the people that object to Christianity because of this issue are different than the people that object to Christianity because of say the problem of evil. Those are two very different audiences. So the problem of evil is like an intellectual problem. People are going to, you know, object because they're thinking about the issue and they have a have intellectual problems with the 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 model of Christianity essentially whereas people who object to Christianity because of the what it talks about with regards to gay marriage um that's a surface level political issue in my opinion it's not really a good reason to say no um because it it's kind of irrelevant to what Christianity actually is it's kind of a non sequitur but um Anyway, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, I guess just to kind of go ahead and put our thoughts out there before we get into it, what is your position on gay marriage? Me personally, I think on a legalistic level, I'm for it, but I'm also for religions having their own say of what happens within their religion. That's due to their belief structure. We cannot infringe on that because that alone 
takes away from the freedom of religion. But I think in a legalistic manner, just like people of different religions can get married, I hold no objection to it, if that makes sense. Okay. David, do you, you're, you're, you've been quiet on when I ask you. Yeah. I'm just going to, I mean, imagine you're probably going to say the same thing, but yeah, from, I'm going to start, I'm uh, just going to start having David go first. Yeah. From well, a secular standpoint, essentially, yeah, pro gay marriage. If you want to get married, cool. I don't care because that's be- in our country. That's between you and the government. Okay. Um, so there's, there's one little nuance I want to make here before we get into things. Uh, when a Christian disagrees with someone who identifies as gay, that is not intended to be invalidating or dismissive. It's not a rejection of that individual as a person per se, as, as much as it is a disagreement with their actions. And that's going to kind of become more apparent as we talk about the actual, uh, biblical passages and what Christianity itself has to say about the issue. Um, One other thing to note before we get into the thick of it, Christianity is not the only religion that opposes uh, homosexuality. Judaism, Islam, and Buddhism also object. But because we live in America and the major religion here is Christianity, Christianity is often the punching bag in the culture war. Now, that all being said, um, I do want to try and handle this issue with care. I know there are several people, I know of several people who identify as gay, as I'm sure many of us do. And this particular topic has been one that I've had to wrestle with in understanding. Due to this, I've come to some difficult conclusions, difficult for people on both sides of the debate. So these two episodes may actually end up being a bitter pill for everyone involved. Now, uh, in this episode, Just as a thesis, we're going to address specifically what the Bible has to say about homosexuality because, believe it or not, some Christians are confused on that topic. So we're going to address that first, and then in the next episode, we're going to talk more about some statistics, science, and the practical and political implications of homosexuality. Any thoughts before we uh, get into it? Nah. As a YouTuber would say, I'm ready to dive in and get into this. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's there are several areas to address here. Uh, first and foremost, with Christians who have done the wrong thing. When this topic comes up, Christians tend to take one of two polar opposite routes. One, Bible-beating people who experience same-sex attraction and outcasting them. So I once attended a church where people who identified as gay were banned from attending. And though I hold the same traditional view of marriage espoused in the Bible, I strongly disagreed with this church's decision. I firmly believe that as Christians, we must be accepting of people no matter what they have going on in their lives. How can we expect them to change if we won't even let them in the door? Now, the other route, as many quote-unquote Christian churches have taken today is to rewrite theology and try to pretend what the Bible says about homosexuality being a sin as something that is not really there. I say Christian with air quotes because part of what it means to be Christian is to believe in what the Bible says. These churches defy what Christians have believed for nearly two millennia. 
seemingly in sync with the cultural, the shifting cultural tides. This is predominantly an issue found in more liberal Protestant churches, but is present in some Catholic circles as well. So my goal here is to find a middle way to hold fast to the traditional Christian teaching on uh, that homosexuality is a sin, but to do so in as loving a way as possible. You might say, well, Bailey, how are you going to do that? Telling someone their lifestyle is in or, or in some cases their identity is a sin. That's mean. That's not love at all. Love is love. Just let people be. This is what I imagine people would object. Uh, so first of all, <clears throat> love is love isn't a coherent argument. It's just restating the same word twice. And But what is implied is that Christians shouldn't judge others for how they choose to live their life. The problem with this way of thinking is we wouldn't apply it to literally any other area. If someone were drinking themselves to death, we wouldn't say, leave him alone, he's having a good time. Christians view homosexuality as a sin, one that is particularly spiritually damaging, and one that is even physically dangerous. To not warn people about this would be actually unloving. We have to come to realize that our culture's definition of love may not necessarily line up with the biblical view of love. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start with what the Bible actually says about homosexuality. And for reference, I'm only going to go through the passages that speak clearly on the issue. I'll mention related passages, but I want to focus on what is most clear. Uh, do we have any comments, questions, or concerns before I actually get into the the meat of the subject? Uh, no. I shall. I'm ready to continue. What about you, David? Yep, I'm ready. Okay. Um, hopefully, if if uh, something comes up, feel free to stop me because I I don't want to like preach the whole episode, but. Um, yeah, so with regard to marriage, since that's what this episode is about, the Bible defines marriage very clearly. Genesis 2.24 says, quote, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, end quote. Marriage is defined as being between a man and a woman because of the unique sexual union of their bodies, which was designed by God and should be honored. This is prior to any sexual prohibitions later in the books in the, of the Bible. Jesus echoes this teaching by quoting this verse in Matthew 19.5, and Paul does the same by quoting it in Ephesians 5.31. Therefore, to a Christian, a gay marriage is an oxymoron. It's like talking about a square circle or a married bachelor. That's just not how it's defined. So let's start with the Old Testament passages. Um, so <clears throat> in Leviticus 18.22 says, quote, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination, end quote. Now for context, Leviticus is essentially a rule book for the Jewish people. Chapter 18 is filled with sexual prohibitions, forbidding actions such as adultery, incest, bestiality, child sacrifice, and, as we just read, homosexuality. None of these other issues are contested in our culture except homosexuality. And this passage is clearly condemning the act of gay sex. There is a distinction to be made here between same-sex attraction and same-sex relations. One of these things is a temptation, the other is an action. And we'll come back to this later with another passage when we discuss gay identity. 
Now, I can imagine people might say, the Old Testament law doesn't apply to Christians, it only applies to Jews. Uh, this is not true. Just one chapter later, in Leviticus, uh, chapter 19, 18, um, we receive the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, which is quoted by Jesus. Obviously, we wouldn't throw out the other sexual prohibitions, such as incest or bestiality, and we still hold to the Ten Commandments. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that, quote, All scripture is given by, the ins by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, end quote. So the Old Testament is relevant for Christians today. Uh, any, any questions? No. Uh, may, I, I'm just mainly listening for me. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask for questions every now and then just so I can drink something. And then I'll keep going. <laughs> okay. So anyway, the next verse uh, that we're going to talk about in the Old Testament is Leviticus 20, verse 13. Quote, If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. End quote. Uh, thinking about David's comments about calling the Old Testament the Bold Testament come to mind here. So <clears throat> this doubt is, th this, this passage is no doubt offensive today, but again, the Old Testament must be read with great care and nuance. It's one of the reasons I don't believe people can just read the Bible and fully understand it on their own. So understanding what does and doesn't apply to Christians and, and how is difficult work, and we should def uh, be deferred to teachers not myself, by the way, I'm relaying this explanation from someone else. If you want to learn more about this topic from a Christian perspective, check out the link in the show notes that goes in depth and addresses uh, the pro-gay reformation within Christianity. So for reference, this chapter also institutes the death penalty for those who sacrifice their children, those who curse their parents, <clears throat> those who commit adultery, incest, bestiality, and polygamy. Now, obviously, Christians don't believe people who have gay sex or commit adultery should be killed, hopefully anyway, and Christians don't apply the same punishment for sin as Jews of the Old Testament did. Animal sacrifices were explicitly done away with in the book of Hebrews, for example. Again, this is the Jewish law code. It sets a precedent for the severity of the sin. It is profitable for Christians in understanding God's perspective on the sin because we now know that all these types of sin are equally severe, regardless if it's unpopular today. And we've uh, covered the Old Testament. We're done now. The end. Just kidding. There's New Testament. But uh, any thoughts? Uh, well, to tie into the kind of punishment thing, it's like we don't common. We don't at least commonly. There are still people out there who follow this shit word for word. They don't take any nuance with it. Westboro Baptist Church. This is, this is me just kind of randomly yeah. questioning, because I don't actually know this, but I wonder if there are actually like Orthodox Jews out there that, that still hold to this. There are, I mean, I'm sure there probably are. Um, just, there's violent know. sectors of any yeah. major religion is the way you got to kind of look at it, and people who will <clears throat> not take nuance and the way of... Because with things like this, you have to, again, read it with nuance, take in the time period it was from, 
and also look at it with a eyesight of the past, but also with the foreknowledge of modernity. Like, we don't believe women should be stoned or shit like that, so so why take it to an extreme with another sin, if that makes sense? Yeah. It, yeah, it so I mean, severity, I'm just gonna echo, but not the punishment. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah, exactly. much like the uh, yeah, Elf probably heard something like this, but the great 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 grandfather would kill the son, the great great grandfather would beat the son, the great grandfather would slap the son, the father <laughs> would yell at the son, and then the son to his son would talk to the son and get it worked out. Leading with a lighter hand in due time, understanding that best way correct an action is not just brutally. Yeah. Okay. Yes. We we don't cut arms off for stealing anymore. So, you know. Now, yeah. granted, there are some nutcases in America that believe that word for word. But what do we all call them? Nutcases heretics. or cults oh, and yeah. heretics. Okay, Um, so let's go ahead and start talking about the New Testament passages. The Old Testament passages, while they are definitely uh, clear on the issue, uh, I think the New Testament actually goes much more in-depth in the issue, and it's not something that you can really just get from reading your English Bible. And so I'm going to actually go into some of the things that I learned while prepping for this episode, Uh, and we're going to get some... Some good information here. So the first one I want to look at is Romans chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Quote, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving their natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving themselves the penalty of their error which was due. End quote. Now, for context, verse 25 explains that the individuals being referenced to here, quote, exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, end quote. Historically, this has been viewed as a prohibition against uh, homosexual activity as it is unnatural to God's design and idolatrous, though heterosexual activity can become idolatrous as well. Now, Some may say that homosexuality is a new thing and people in the ancient times didn't know much about it. This is wrong. While they may not have used the same terms that we use today, they absolutely knew about it. Uh, Homosexuality in Greece and Rome is a 558-page compilation of quotes from Greece and Rome in ancient times that mention homosexuality. Essentially, all forms of homosexuality that exist today have existed since ancient times. It mentions lesbianism, orgies, and lifelong same-sex unions, to name a few. In fact, there was even an ancient identity component similar to today. Quote, Homosexuality in this era may have ceased to be merely another practice of personal pleasure and began to be viewed as an essential and central category of personal identity, exclusive of and antithetical to heterosexual activity. End quote. So, Homosexual orientation was well-known and normalized in the ancient world. The concept of condemning homosexual behavior was actually fairly novel. 
Paul, in his writings, attempts to set a sexual ethic for Christians that make them stand out from their Roman counterparts. This is something like how the Torah made the Jewish people stand out from the Gentile nations. Likewise, Christians should stand out from the rest of the world in their ethics. Thoughts? Yeah, uh, as and you can even trace this into the animal kingdom for sakes. Anytime there is any mono or poly relationship in mankind or even in animal kind, there's always been gay stuff. Always been. You can look at penguins. Pandas are very notorious for it now. My dogs were gay. Yeah. yeah when <laughs> I lived in Beach Island, we... We had two kitty cats that were both boys that liked to play a little rough, if you know what I mean. Oh. It wasn't much playing. It was Uh-oh. little nips on the neck, little, little kiss right. here. <laughs> but it's not a it new says thing. more about you for watching it, honestly. Well, it's in the living room, and I didn't know if they were fighting or fucking, <laughs> and I wanted to make sure no one's getting hurt. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's not a new thing. It's something that's been happening for millennia. Right. And to say yeah. it is a new issue is disingenuous once you look yeah. at history. What's, what's Especially new is with the, the Roman and Greeks. Right. Like when, Yo, there's if, more I will have to go in about them later. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was commonplace for, and what is kind of ironic, it was more shunned for the females and the bottoms than it was for the men who were the givers in that essence yeah. and it was it was very common for underage encounters too it was in a you know you're, you're hitting on a lot of the details that i'm actually going to oh. go more into but yeah, yeah i mean it's good and it's i mean in other cultures know. i know uh native american cultures have had say i forget the exact thing so i'll probably butcher it but um Homosexual relationships, uh, kind of like a third gender or the kind of a male who like took that. on the, the matriarchal side yeah. of a family. And I mean, some of them were just cold-blooded warriors too. Uh, I know Lewis and Clark had some documentation on that and other adventures. And yeah, it's just kind of human- since humanity known what a relationship was. There is same-sex relationships. Yeah. And and uh, I want to say, I may, may be misquoting, but in like uh, American Samoa and the more the Polynesian area, that quote-unquote third gender is something that is more common for a male to take that maternal figure, especially in lieu of a maternal figure. Okay. And the where the garb, the... All that stuff. So it's it's not a new thing. It's been going on for millennia. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go on to the next passage. Uh, this is one that we all know that is constantly quoted. It's First uh, Corinthians chapter six verse nine. Quote: Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God, end quote. So 
there's a few things to unpack about this passage. Uh, my first thought is, see, Protestants, you have to do more than just have faith. But uh, aside from that jab, <coughs> some might point to the word, uh, to the fact that the word homosexual is a fairly new word in the English language and only began being used in the Bible translations within the last 100 years. So, get ready for a brief lesson in etymology. The English word, <coughs> the word translated in English as sodomite is arsenikoitai in Greek. The first usage of arsenikoitai is actually in this passage. So Paul sort of invents a slang word to kind of get across his meaning. It is a fusion of the words arsenos, which means male, and koitin, which means to bed or to sleep with. These exact words are used in Leviticus 18 and 20. So Paul seems to be referencing those passages when making, when using this new word. Taken together, they can roughly mean a male who sleeps with a, another male, <clears throat> which almost sounds exactly like Leviticus 18.22. Now, in the Latin Vulgate from 451, this word was translated as men who lie with other men. So this is not a recent understanding. The English word homo, uh, translated as homosexual is malakoi in Greek, which is feminine, and it's, it's a feminine word that literally means soft in English. So, to break down the euphemisms here and explain what is being said in a literal sense, in a homosexual act, the sodomites are the dominant aggressors, and the homosexuals are the passive participants in the sexual act. That's how the Bible is using these words. Paul is condemning both here. Now that we understand the linguistics, we can see that this verse is explicitly condemning same-sex relations, not same-sex attraction. Uh, so, do we have any thoughts on that? I thought that was super interesting. I did not know about that when I got into this. Like, just knowing, like, the, the Greek roots makes me really think like, wow, there's a lot that I'm probably missing when I read the Bible. Yeah, also for a lot of Christians, if you read this and you're, you know, you got to look at all of these because they're all be putting in the same wheelhouse, you drunkards, you revile. May, may I ask, what is a reviler? Uh, basically someone who uses words to damage a person's reputation, their name, their family. Um, I think it might also could be used for, depending on context, maybe like an abu verbally abusive person, but at least a stone cold definition is a liar, basically a shit talker, a, a liar. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, uh, I'm glad David covered me on that one because I didn't actually know, but uh, I, yeah, I was just... actually reading Drew and I'm like, okay, let me search this up because it's, oh, you looked it up. <laughs> I yeah, just looked no it up too. Cool. Yeah, I think this is so. another another uh case where a lot of people will quote this but not also look in the mirror. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm I'm going there actually. Oh. Yeah, it, it's it's funny how like everything you say is like I'm going to cover it in like the next like 5 minutes. Yeah, it's really because, funny. Because because I think one of the biggest issues when it comes is the <clears throat> consistency of Christians in modern America, which I know we've talked on before. Right. Right. So also for context, uh, there was no such concept as consent during this time period. Uh, Roman men during this time period were allowed to do whatever they wanted with whoever they wanted 
unless there was a woman in uh, question who was married, in which case it would depend on social status. Emperors slept with the wives of senators, for example, because they had more power. Pedophilia was normalized and occurred commonly during this time. Male-to-male -male sex was discouraged during this time, but only because it was considered dishonorable to the passive partner. This is why it was so common for children to be abused, because, they were because it was viewed as less dishonorable. This is also why Paul says that both parties are in the wrong, the active and the passive. Um, another aspect of this passage is our connotations of the word homosexual today. When we think of that word, we think of someone who identifies or claims that their sexual orientation is homosexual. This can cause problems uh, because we can project our concept of identity onto the biblical text. If we do that, someone may misread the text to say, oh, I'm gay, so God doesn't want me. So instead of reading, acting out on homosexual desires is a sin, sometimes people who identify as gay read the text as, my identity is sinful, therefore my existence is a sin. That would be a horrible misreading because, obviously, God loves everyone. Our culture's understanding of being gay in terms of an identity is different than the Bible's perspective of homosexuality, namely being that the conscious choice to act out on same-sex desires, which the Bible views as unnatural. Again, this is condemning same-sex relations, not attraction. I have to continually reemphasize this point because there are some Christians out there that don't understand that critical nuance. Um, one other thing I'd like to point out on this passage is the word fornicators. Now, fornicators is a blanket term used in the Bible to condemn all sexual sin. Sexual sin is essentially any sexual activity outside of the marriage bond. Now, given this standard, a lot more people in the world today would be condemned as fornicators than homosexuals, and both are condemned in the same verse. Just something for people to think about. Jesus is saying about getting the log out of your own eye before getting the speck out of someone else's uh, comes to mind here. And yeah. people who... Idolation, drunkards... Idolatry, mean? Oh, yeah. Idolatry. I mean, it's basically... as kind of... I see it. It's a list of problems that especially society had at that point and mm -hmm. uh, uh looking at you uh a lot of people nowadays with your idolatry yeah yeah so i mean all of those things are yeah. on an equal playing field and some people want to zero in on one or two of those things and point the finger and well let's look in the mirror before you do that yeah like uh yeah. Don't know if we'll touch up on again it later on, but kind of, I know, uh, as Michael said, it's not necessarily the thing that broke, that caused the building collapse, but it is one, one that didn't help. It's, yeah. uh, essentially a lot of people would just say, oh, I was actually then beat their wife or ha have a chick on the side. It's like, might want to check yourself before you start. And yeah, well, because just we've seen general, that a lot those, of times. Yeah, just in general, those types of people aren't really helpful. <laughs> just yeah. in general. Yeah, towards... check, check the episode about the problem with Christians for, for yeah. emphasis. And then uh, 
to touch base on the existence of sin that take that totally throws out the human nature in general and the Christian ethos is sinful due to the fall from God that separation not well not necessarily separation as we've discussed but the introduction of sin into the human ethos Mm -hmm. we are all sinful there's no perfect man and this verse doesn't say that none of these people could be redeemed or forgiven it just says these things uh, will end you up in hell if you don't you know change some shit you asshole yeah so also a lot of people will use verses like this as ammunition to be aggressive and violent or to tie a whole bunch of things together and not and do the christian thing welcome them with open arms have a dialogue and try to teach and i think that's where a lot of the issues come today due to the vocal minority like the Westboro Baptist churches of the world and shit like that or the mm-hmm. bible thumpers that we dealt with where it's like get out of my church you're black and you're gay yeah which is yeah. very unchristian of you assholes <laughs> right not how you're supposed to go so one other thing i want to say is you know don't make it i don't want my words to be misconstrued here i'm not um, relativizing sin and saying that all sin is equal or that, you know, I'm just saying that all of these things that are listed in this passage condemn a lot of people today. And it's not just this one or two groups of people. It's, it's everyone. And so it's important to take a look in the mirror before you judge someone else and work on yourself before you condemn someone else. All of us have their, have our own problems and sins that we need to repent of, and we all have to work on it. And that doesn't mean don't try and help others with different areas, you know, but uh, we all have things to work on, basically. So in summary for this passage, uh, obviously it may sound a little bit hellfire and brimstone, but it's very important to note that the very next verse says this, quote, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, end quote. In essence, you are not automatically damned if you've committed one of these sins listed in that previous verse. Paul is writing this to a community in Corinth, which was very sexually corrupt, and tried to bring in pagan elements into the church, such as temple prostitution. He is saying this, that in this verse they have changed. The Corinthians are no longer the people that partake in those pagan rituals. They are Christians now, and their actions should show it. Similarly, Christians today are to turn from their sinful past and repentance every day. Okay, so we've got one more verse from the New, the New Testament, uh, and this is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-10. to 10. Quote, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners, 
for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, end quote. Again, the word translated sodomite is arsenokoitai, meaning men who lie with men as a man lies with a woman. And in other words, what this passage is saying is this. The Bible's moral prescriptions are for everyone, which includes Christians and non-Christians. Uh, now, there are, there are, these are not the only passages in the Bible that address this topic. They're just the most explicit that I felt like I could go into. So other passages include Genesis 19, which is the Sodom and Gomorrah story that involved male-to-male uh, -male rape. Deuteronomy 23, verse 17, which is a prohibition against prostitution. Judges 19, verse 22, which is almost identical to what happened in Genesis 19. And Jude 1, verse 7, which also condemns Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, so we've got a couple of things. We got one, one last area that I want to cover in this episode. Kind of blasted through things, but... Um, do you guys have thoughts or comments before we, we get into the, the last little section here? Not, I think I said most, most of what I wanted to say with the last one, kind of the, just because you commit sin doesn't mean you're damned. Because I think a lot of people in Protestant circles, in, Christ, in American Christianity, would say would a lot of the times already damn and judge someone even mm -hmm. though we're not the final judge ourselves. So I think most of what I wanted to say was said during that last New Testament passage. David, you got anything? Uh not really. The main thing going off in my head is like, oh yeah. Uh because essentially how I see it, it's a like a the list and stuff been addressing like especially say problems with Roman society and how Christians were kind of not with that shit just reminded me of a uh, Socrates because the man complained about that society <laughs> as well and some people say he was like possibly Christian but that is Socrates? highly debatable uh if I who remember. was it you're, you're saying yeah Socrates okay yeah it just reminds me of a some people that I had class with were leaning towards he could have been like Christian-ish, but I'm like, I don't know. The man just loved to complain. <laughs> Didn't he like, wasn't he kind of crazy? Didn't oh, he like yeah. try and try and die a bunch of times, but to prove a point? He, he boiled he humanity of... down as a featherless biped. And then was won up by Dodge and he brought in a featherless chicken and yeah, just he, threw he the was motherfucker. A... <laughs> He was essentially a contrarian. If you said yeah. something, he's, he's like, a real prankster. how do you know it's exact? And that was kind of how he did stuff. Well, and then actually, he died for not believe. if I remember, for not believing in the whichever god. So he had to drink the poison. Huh. The more you know. Yeah, I need to it's I need to brush up on Socrates. Uh, if you like, uh, after afterwards, I can send you the ethics book I had. Socrates, these nuts. <laughs> Some, okay, sometimes anyway, he sorry. comes off at he comes off as that. Well, actually, kid, yeah, in school. I, I hated him. He is. 
I, I hated reading about them. But uh, even if you don't like someone, you can still learn something about them. Yeah. I read a lot about crazy Christian cults, and I learn a lot about crazy people. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, before we end off, I want to address one question that is probably on people's minds, and that is, why does God care so much about sex? So I'm going to refer to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 to 20 for this. Quote, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members, the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Harlot here meaning a prostitute. Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord in one spirit with him is one, is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. End quote. So this is a very theologically rich passage, so I'm going to attempt to break it down to the best of my ability. Um, let's start with some context. Sexuality in the Roman world was viewed as a biological means to an end. For example, the old Roman Latin word for a man relieving a sexual urge, some might say orgasm, was the same word used as when a man relieved himself after urinating. So much like men would go to the bathroom when they had an urge to relieve themselves, they would find any given moment uh, woman to relieve themselves when they had sexual urges. It was very animalistic, and this is obviously not the biblical uh, sexual ethic. So, in this passage, Paul says something that would have been shocking and blasphemous to the Jewish people. He says, quote, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, end quote. This could have gotten him stoned because to the Jewish people during this second temple period, which is the time Paul was writing, there was only one temple. That was the Holy of Holies. This is the place where God was known to dwell. Gentiles weren't allowed to enter the temple, and women had to stay in the outermost courts. And only the high priest, after being cleansed, was permitted to stand before the Holy of Holies once a year. To make matters even more controversial, Jews during this time didn't believe God was actually dwelling in the temple. They had broken the covenant with him and were in the process of trying to get him back. This is why the Pharisees were so zealous, because they thought that if they kept the law perfectly, then God would return to the temple. So what Paul said is that the very sacred dwelling place of God is within you, the Gentiles who weren't even allowed to enter the temple. So to defile it sexually is to defile God's most sacred place. This is why Christians make such a big deal out of being made in God's image, because a Christian is literally connected to the body of Christ, therefore they cannot just do with their bodies as they please. Sexual sin doesn't just affect the Christian, it affects the whole body of Christ, the Christian community. It corrupts the body and twists God's creation. Our bodies are not our own, they were created by God, and they were bought with a price. That is why God cares so much.
That's all I have. So, is that where the treat your body like a temple comes from? That old saying? Sort of. Um, okay. I'm not... Um, are, you, are you referring to like uh, another bas- Bible passage i tried to say bible and passage in the same word and said passage is that is that a bible passage you're referring to uh i want one second i just didn't know if it was like a colloquial saying or like an actual passage that you're recording uh Give me one one more second here, because I just quickly looked up to see if it was a, but everything I'm seeing references 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, but I know it's a, it's a saying that's been used for everything from tattoos, piercings, etc. Treat your body like a temple. Mm-hmm. I know we've all heard it, right. so I was just kind of wanted to pick your brain, seeing if that's where that comes from. Um... I can't say for sure, but I would say with a reasonable amount of confidence, probably. So, what I figured, but never hurts to ask. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a little, a level of depth that I didn't, I didn't fully, I like, I had no, I had had pieces of that in my mind. And then I, I saw a video recently that kind of put all those pieces together. And I was like, Oh, that's a big deal. That makes a lot more sense now. So, yeah, that is uh, that's really all I have to to talk about for this episode. Do we have any other any other thoughts? Uh, don't be a dick to people. <laughs> Walk with them with open arms and create conversation. Which I know we say that every fucking episode but it still needs to be said <laughs> in our world that we live in right uh for no man is without sin look in the mirror first and yeah that's, that's really it i, I yeah. think a lot of the as i said earlier modern issues with how most people approach these topics is they're not willing to look in the mirror and work on themselves but they're willing to damn their fellow man. Yeah. Wait, specific cherry picking. Yeah. Whereas reading and stating these things is a lot more open and inclusive to the sinful nature of mankind. Yeah. It's not, it's not unrealistic about the fact that we all have our own varying types of sin. Yeah. And due to, you know, Jesus being fucking murdered, you can be forgiven. And I think a lot of people miss that part when they're casting judgment upon another man. Who Mm -hmm. are we to judge whether someone is going to make it to the pearly gates or not? Because we don't know what's going on in their head or their relationship with God. I think a lot of that nuance is missed in modernity because everyone wants to take it either 100% 100% word for word without nuance, without historical context, or they want to just, again, cherry pick what they want to see. Um, so we, we were talking before the show started about uh, 
patron saints and you know talking about the lives of saints and stuff and you mentioning something just kind of brought up a quote that i actually just saved quote humility is the solid and indestructible cornerstone upon which the spiritual life is built end quote that's from saint saba so yeah i mean to your point you know familiar with that quote because i mean what symbol do i wear it i never take this thing off yeah it's one even though i'm not christian it's one of those tenets of humility for those who are wondering what he's referring to he's talking about his his uh upside down cross referring to saint peter it's not for edgy reasons it's not for satanic reasons it's for humility for humility's sake which is something a lot of people are missing in modern times yeah so hopefully at the very least this was a nuanced discussion uh not i mean i think if you take the biblical passages if you're if you're going to ask the question like what does the bible say about homosexuality like it's pretty clear you know um there are people that will try and make it say things that it doesn't say uh, and that that was kind of something I referenced as uh, the pro-gay reformation shortly after uh, the Supreme Court ruling. I think it was in 2014. Um, there were a number of Christian denominations, if you will, I guess, uh, that literally called themselves the pro-gay reformation. And they were obviously gay themselves and wanted to kind of change what the Bible has to say. They didn't literally change it, um, but they did say, well, these words don't mean that, and they tried to kind of Greek over your head and say, well, this word means this in Greek, and it doesn't mean those things. Like, most people, you know, it's not... They they would kind of make it a conspiracy theory that, like, there's just been this anti-gay propaganda for 2,000 years, and all of a sudden they've cracked the code. Um, Don't get me wrong. There are things in certain Bibles that people will, especially when you look at the kings of the ancient times, like the medieval mm-hmm. times, right? there's a reason a lot of those translations have died off because... Yeah, the sinner's Bible. There's a, there are a lot of them, and there's still, <laughs> still, still some out there. But... Yeah. Yeah, yeah so... As it's, as difficult as it may be to just say, like, the issue is clear, it is a sin, but there is more nuance to be had about it when you go into each of the passages and realize what all of them are saying. Like, it's not explicitly singling out this one group of people. It's, it's condemning a group of people for a, a group of sins that a lot of us are guilty of. And so kind of to what we've been saying a lot with a lot of this, not to relativize the issue, but look in the mirror and work on yourself before you point your finger. Yeah. And also one thing I've noticed is when certain figures don't damn somebody immediately for an action, especially in our, the circles we grew up in, especially if they don't go, they're going to hell because of this they're usually outcast and kicked out really quick. (laughs) And a lot of people want simple binary blanket statements when it comes Mm -hmm. to issues like this. They want to be told precisely who's going to make it, 
who's not going to make it. The chosen few of sorts. When yeah. we can only kind of guess. I don't even a, think that's a that's a judgment that any human should be making because yeah. there's no way you can know that you're trying to play God. I mean, unless, yeah. unless you have some kind of divine revelation and you've seen, you know, someone who has passed on like in the kingdom of heaven or in the lake of fire, you don't know, like you have no way of actually knowing. And even that could be a deception. Yeah. This is, this is me getting into like my Orthodox perspective, but like you don't need to, this, this is part of, Part of why I'm not Protestant is because people want to say, like, we know without a reason, without beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you say that you believe this thing, then you're automatically in heaven. And I don't believe that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's like saying if you do this one thing, you're automatically in hell. It's not binary. Yeah. Cause you have to back up your beliefs with actions. And, and if, if you grace. don't do that, then it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And then the grace and just when you look at, Christianity in that aspect the the biggest point in Christianity and the way I read it is the crucifixion mm-hmm. that changes everything when it comes to salvation you can be forgiven right and I think a lot of people miscontribe when preachers or high level officials go they're not necessarily damned to hell I'm not God. Are you? Yeah. 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 But, you know, a lot of people will also miscontribe that as being pro this or anti that when it's really. Yeah. There's more nuance. Kind of stating the facts that we don't fucking know. I mean, we have enough. Unborn babies going to hell. We have enough of a rubric to kind of, uh, kind of build a path, I guess, but we don't, it's not set in stone. And to the point that we're, that it's, that's black and white, you know? Yeah, because no human's going to get every answer correct. That's fucking impossible because we are naturally sinful. Yeah. But yeah, before we get too far on that diatribe, I just figured I would throw that out there because I see a lot of, especially in Protestant circles, getting butt hurt when people aren't um, damned from the start. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, that falls into... One thing I've probably said a million times, uh, people fear anything different because we're kind of, our mindset is so tribalistic. We want exactly what, who we are to match up with everyone else. So therefore, if someone is different in the littlest way, they're not like us. Uh, we hate them. We're going to perpetuate an idea that instead it's like, oh. Are you human? Yes. You're a sinner. Okay, welcome to the club. Yeah. yeah and to <laughs> me, that was... Simplify it, but essentially, we're all guilty yeah. of something. Yeah, nobody's that clean. Was, yeah, that was, and to me, that was one of the more beautiful things going to some of the churches that we went to was the diversity in age, race, and all that. It was like, okay, this... No one's being pigeonholed, whereas when we went to some of the more modern churches, it was like middle age, white. There's a certain strata of society. Yeah. And I I understand where they're coming from, but I also think when it comes to Christianity, you 
should hold tradition, but also you have to welcome with open arms to create that dialogue and to create an understanding of your what your beliefs are yeah. and relay that to somebody. And, you know, that's what we're doing well, here. Also, to, to play devil's advocate, pun intended, I guess, um, you don't really get to pick who shows up at your church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what your service is... Will and kind actions, of draw in your, certain types of people. Yeah, and actions your group does can either exclude or include more people. Yeah, but kind of what I was getting down to is some of them felt way more open and inclusive to all types versus trying mm-hmm. to pigeonhole a certain demographic. I'm not going to state any names, but you guys can probably guess which one I'm talking about right here, <laughs> or which two. Okay. Trying to yeah. pigeonhole a certain demographic. But yeah. Right. Don't All be right, dicks. cool. Well, uh, next episode, we're going to talk about the genetic question of whether or not someone can be born gay, statistics of, of those among the gay community, and the political implications of the two sides, and how we can better engage in dialogue with one another. Uh, also, just want to throw this out there. Um, we are going to be doing a Q&A episode here in just a few weeks. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, uh, send them our way at facingthegatespod at gmail.com. And um, it can be about this episode or any of the previous other ones or just any general questions you want to ask us. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at facingthegates. Enjoy the show while it's still alive because it's going to die one day and it's not that far away. You've only It's a ticking time bomb. The show is going to end. You better enjoy it. Engage while you can before we disappear from the internet. And rip it from YouTube. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't ha- I don't have any uh social media, so like after this, this is it for me. <laughs> you're not gonna be able to contact me. So maybe post the I mean if you contact the- me on social media, I think you're a spam bot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've covered everything. I think it's been real. Mm-hmm. I think it's been fun. I think it's been real fun. And uh we will see you next time. See on the Face Gates time, Podcast. Bye bye. Right, See ya.